0: Today is Monday, February 24th, 2020, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of your Boston Celtics. Today's episode with Dan Greenberg, Evan Valenti, Phil and Fred Kaufman here is brought to you in part by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag, use that promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your next deposit. Another edition of Celtics Beat. Coming away here this morning, Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Kaufman here on this Monday. And uh, I, I would assume that Adam will be back soon. I, this was kind of a last-minute, like, hey, make it a pitch hit for me one more time. So I don't know what's going on. I'm sure Adam will be back uh, next week uh, with – again, we have a big guest, like, kind of in the wings. We're just kind of just waiting to finalize things with him. Um, I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. But in the meantime, make sure you subscribe to the show, iTunes, Stitcher. Make sure you follow us on YouTube, all that stuff. Uh, coming off uh, – a really tough one yesterday, and with you know the tough game yesterday, Celtics lose one fourteen to one twelve. The Lakers. We had to bring on a, a guy that's as is, is passionate as anybody about this about this team, and that's Barstool Sports Dan Greenberg. Dan, what's going on? How are you doing today? Are, are you are you feeling all right after the, after the, you know you've digested a little bit? You've gotten your words out. We're just catching it right off the blog. Are you feeling a little bit better about yesterday? So I said it in the blog uh, today, and I hate having to do it.
1: Anytime you have to resort to. Uh, a moral victory as opposed to a real life victory. That's like that's never ideal. But at about three o'clock in the morning as I was just staring at my ceiling, I started to to turn the tide and when I got up this morning and showered, I, I feel it wasn't like I got killed by twenty or anything like that that really would have sent me into the depression. This was more just like I close my eyes and I have flashbacks of Gordon Hayward missing a layup with 50 seconds left, or you know, I have flashbacks of LeBron hitting a fadeaway in my face, like I feel like he's done for the last like eight years. So it was more of the same gut wrenching pain. But when you take a step back and you look at how they've played so far during this brutal eight game stretch, it's like there are more positives
0: than negatives. But man, I wish they had that one. Yeah, I I, I do too. Because look, for seeding right now. You know, Toronto opened up a can of whoop ass on the Pacers yesterday and they were up like what 22 to 2 in the first quarter over Indiana won that game convincingly. We're starting to get down to the the end of the year here where every game is really starting to matter. I know Boston has a couple of games. They have two games left against the Raptors the rest of the way. So they can kind of maybe control their own destiny here. But when, when you have an opportunity to win a game on the road like that and, and, and you have Toronto, you know, cleaning up at home, it's, it's really kind of tough. And And I'm, and I, I, I maybe we'll touch on this later, but I am starting to become reserved to the fact that Boston's probably going to have the three seed. They're probably going to have to play Toronto. And they're gonna probably have to go on the road to do it, and that's going to be really tough. But as we get towards the end here, gonna keep track of Toronto because that you know that team hasn't lost in what feels like six months. And, uh, and they, and they're only going to get healthier much like Boston is. But I do want to get into yesterday. Again, a a tough loss, 114 to 112 hands to the Lakers. I think I know the answer to this question because I've, I've read you for years and I I know what really irks you, but what are you most upset about from yesterday's game? I have a list of things that it could be, but I think I know the answer to this question.
1: So. It's like a one A and one B for me, and it and it has to be the uh, the layups and the turn and the layups and the turnovers. Wow, well, I'm shocked. Probably one A and one B, but then free throws. Are there, right it there. There, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is. Not too far behind, just because you know the Lakers missed eight, which is fine. Like you got kind of a prayer there, but we've seen this team miss five, six, seven free throws for what feels like three or four straight games. And it's coming from guys that are good free throw shooters, right? Like, I can handle Jalen missing one or two. He's, you know, hasn't historically been a great free throw shooter. But with Hayward missing some and Marcus missing a couple, it's like, I just, it's, you, anytime you go on the road against that quality of team and you leave that many points on the board, it almost always comes back to haunt you, and this was just, the latest case but the fourth quarter turnovers the miss layups Tatum had one Hayward had that one with 50 seconds left and they had seven turnovers in the quarter i mean that's just that just makes me want to gouge my eyes out
0: yeah i'm i'm with you on the turnover aspect and i'll actually go back a little further there's a stretch in this game with about 4 minutes in you know we'll call it 5 minutes left so 5 minutes left in the third quarter Tatum makes the shot makes it 79-72 here, here's the the following of that. Romeo misses a three. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna get too upset. If Romeo misses it a three. Uh, Lakers get a rebound. Grant fouls Davis. Davis knocks down two free throws, and I got seventy nine seventy four. Tatum turns it over. Langford fouls Kuzma. He hits one or two. Now it's seventy nine seventy five. Davis blocks blocks Brad Wanamaker. Uh, Wanamaker gets the rebound, turns it over because of Rondo Steel. Kuzma makes the layup 79-77. Selick's called timeout. Tice comes in the game. Smart turns it over. Uh, and then you have Smart turning over it again. Then KCP makes a dunk 79-79. And all of a sudden, in a minute and a half, two minutes, we've gone... The Celtics have gone up up seven to a tie ball game, And that's just because of lazy turnovers and and, and bad fouls. And that stuff... Is what really gets me mad, and you talked about the stuff in the fourth quarter too. I mean, that's it's it's crazy. And you have Jalen had four turnovers yesterday. Wanamaker had three. Uh, Tatum had a couple. I, Tatum's I kind of sort of forgive just because of the of what was going on yesterday. Um, but I, I have a list of them and the turnover 17 – If you're going want if you're going on the road you're, and you're gonna be under man in this game, which they were, they didn't have Kevin Walker. Can't turn the ball over 17 times on the road against a team that's, you know, favored in the West to win the title. Okay. You're just not going to go do that and expect to win basketball games. The fact that they were even in the game in the first place is a testament to how well they cleaned it up at points, but 17 turnovers is not going to cut it. And then a couple other ones that I had the Hayward missing a couple of bunnies, including the one with 50 seconds left, is going to hurt. Smart, and I I heard Rossillo mention this this morning on, on Simmons' pod. Smart taking, like, two bad shots when he's clearly hurt is all-time Marcus Smart, you know, Smartness, where, you know, you, half the time it, that goes in because that's just the way he is, and half the time it, it doesn't go in. These are times where you wish you wouldn't do that. And then, like, the Brad Wanamaker minutes where he was minus 11 in 18 minutes and had three turnovers and was oh four 4 from the field. Like, those variants of those four things, you add them all up, but you just get me really pissed off about yesterday.
1: Yeah, and I think we, we kind of saw, if you remember the game on
0: Friday against Minnesota,
1: you know, they came out in the third quarter and I think they had four straight turnovers or, you know, four turnovers and five possessions to make that a suddenly competitive game. So they do have this problem where they have these mental stretches where they just can't stop turning the ball over and you see five, six, seven point leads evaporate in like 90 seconds. But for me, it's like, I've accepted all that comes with Market Smart. So it's like the guy tears his ACL and is like, the next possession jacking up a twenty five footer like for me that just that 's the marcus smart experience i'm just i'm sort of numb to that by now, and like you said, like you know more often than not somehow he'll make that one, but he'll miss a wide open one so for me that 's mostly just a watch that's that 's what you get when you live the Marcus smart life yeah the bigger concerns for me had to be you know the watermaker minutes he it was just very apparent early in his opportunity that this, sort of like Cantor, where this was just not a Brad Wanamaker game. So, I'm curious, like, what does Carson Edwards have to do just to just throw him out there and see right away, okay, could this maybe give us something, and if not, we'll go back to Wanamaker. But, for them, for him to be, I think he was 0-4, he had three turnovers, a minus 11 in 18 minutes, like, they already aren't getting a lot from their second unit, and if he's going to have that type of performance, like, you can't play him. You have to just accept that Carson might make, you know, might be a defensive liability because, you know, Wanamaker was just – he was hurting them last night. And that's where, you know, the, the no Kemba and the no Robert Williams and their rotations being, you know, different because of smart filling in in the starting role, that's where it hurt you because, you know, Wanamaker really didn't do them, you know, any, any service.
0: Yeah, and there are, there are times of the year where Wanamaker makes me look bad and has, like, a really good game. It hits a couple of clutch shots, and I'm like, geez, you know, I really do kill him. on a uh, right." You know, the thing is, I was talking to some people this morning, and I was talking with Kauffman about it this morning. We were going back and forth about what we were going to talk about on the show. And, you know, it gets to a point where it's like, okay, with Brad, all right, look, the guy's like the fourth point guard on the roster here. I mean, you know, he's not going to play a lot, I don't think, when it really matters anyway, and we'll touch on this in a little bit, but, you know... It, I, I someone agree with you with like what does Carson wants have to do to get off but the the problem is there is Wanamaker has more time in the system, and I think Brad really trusts guys have been in the system for a long time and like honestly sometimes I wish Trey waters is on the team and people probably think I'm nuts, but I do think I wish Trey waters on the team because I think like Trey has a better idea uh and it's just like a better overall floor general like I know he's smaller and like younger and whatever. But I think he's just a, a a better player there. And next year when those minutes go to Trey instead of Brad, it'll it'll be a little bit cleaner at the end of games. But, you know, again, the list of things, that and you've touched on a couple of things that really bothered about last night's game. Um, the Cantor minutes, just in general, are a nightmare. And against teams that are really good but, like, kind of really small, Cantor just can't play. And, I, I, and we're going back to that, like, Cantor can't play thing that was popular last postseason that he can play, et cetera, et cetera. But minus six in five minutes, he was a complete nightmare. They can't play him against Houston either. Some of these smaller teams, Brad has to accept, like, okay, we have to play, we have to play, you know, Grant Williams over, over Cantor here. It's just going to be a a much, a much better process. And like even yesterday, look, we're, if you watch Cantor try and like guard and recover on a pick and roll with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, like he can't. Whereas Grant can at least with the speed get back in there, get into the play and make things a little bit more difficult for Anthony Davis. Uh, the injuries, Kemba and and Robert Williams. I mean, yeah, you can go back and look at that um, and say that's annoying too. And I will bring this up and only just as uh, a very small at the end of this discussion sort of thing. And what it, 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 look, it, it was bad on both sides, but the refs last night at the end of the game were an absolute nightmare. I mean, absolute nightmare. I mean, and you can call it both ways. They, they missed the goaltending on both sides. Uh, you know, but you know, at the end of the game when things get kind of chippy and a little weird, uh, you know, Jalen didn't step out of bounds, <laughs> and that the ball—not close—the ball, not even close. the ball <laughs> yeah. may or may not have been off Anthony Davis's finger at the end of the game too. But it it slows down the flow of the game, right? There's a clear and obvious flow of the game when you take a break for six, seven, eight minutes to look at whether the ball is off Davis or Brown. You blow, you pick up that flow, and that's that has to. The refs have to come to a much clearer more definitive decision right away because you know, you're going to give these ty- these guys time to like sit on the bench and be cold. Um, I know it's only six minutes, but it does take guys out of the flow of the game and it does hurt the end product.
1: See, I feel like I might be alone in this way of thinking, but like,
0: I don't care how long it takes
1: them to review something. Right. I just don't get how you could look at what we reviewed and still make the calls they made. Right. Like, the non-goal trend that was in the first quarter, second quarter with Romeo, when both LeBron and Dwight Howard convinced the officials to reverse it, or they looked at it, whatever, and they still deemed it it wasn't a goaltend. Like that's what makes me mad. Same thing with the Anthony Davis ball. Like it goes off as pinky, you take all that time, and you still make the call you made. That's where my issue is. Like I don't care if it takes them five, ten minutes, whatever, as long as they get it right. But in a game of this magnitude, you can't have so many calls be bad for both teams. Like, like the Jalen Brown goaltend was 100% a goaltend. Like, yeah. it was clearly, it was maybe a little bit below the rim, but, like, he still hit it after he hit the backboard. So, Lakers fans were just as right to be upset with that call as Celtics fans were with the Romeo one. So, it's, it's interesting because it comes directly after Mark Cuban just called out all the officials for how the Mavs just got boned in their game on Saturday night. Yeah. And you just hate that when you have such a good competitive game for 47 minutes that it could be impacted with calls that aren't even close. Like, the Jalen Brown out-of-bounds call was a one-point game and four minutes left. You can't get that wrong. Like, and I'm not even sure why that wasn't reviewable. I guess, like, because it wasn't under two minutes, it wasn't an automatic review, and they didn't, you know, they already used their challenge. But they had to use the challenge because they called the sixth foul on Daniel Tice, who wasn't even involved in the play. So it's like if they had that challenge, maybe they could have used it on Jalen being inbounds instead of out of bounds. So it was a cluster, but I'm still of the stance that you know they lost this game because of their own doing. It yeah. just it ruins the the narrative of such an exciting game when the officials just like. They can't seem to get it, you know, out of their own way.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I don't blame i I don't like to blame refs for things. When you can, when you're talking about like one call by a ref here and a one call by the ref there, I can go back throughout the entire game. Well, if you know Tatum doesn't do this, or if the seeds don't turn it over 17 times in the game, or if Pedro doesn't miss the shot. With fifty seconds, like you can do that all game, and to do that on the for the refs, I think is is insane. I think people need to come out, you know, chill out about that. Quick break from Green to tell you today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Football season in the NFL is over. XFL though going strong right now. Hope you all cleaned up during the football season. Either get ready for March Madness, get ready for golf because the Masters is coming up. Baseball season as well. And you can still make money right now because NBA futures are still in play. Lakers, the favorite after the crazy game yesterday, still the favorite. Plus two fifty bucks, plus three hundred. Clippers, plus four hundred. Sixers, plus one thousand. Celtics, plus two thousand. Now, if you're a Celtics fan and you are looking at yesterday's game and are like, "Hey, look, man." Whew. They went to the Lakers and went on the road to L.A. without Kemba Walker to almost beat the Lakers. Man, I'm feeling good about this team. Maybe throw some money down on the Celtics, plus 2,000. Those are terrific odds. I still like the Bucks. so I think they're insane. I think they're really tough to beat everywhere. And uh, I think Giannis is just – nobody has, a, has an answer for that, so I think the Bucks at plus 300 is, is the best bet, but if you want to throw some money – on the season, plus 2,000, by all means, do so. BetOnline.ag also has odds for NBA MVP, Rookie of the Year. And if you're looking to score on more than just basketball, BetOnline.ag has you it for golf, soccer, hockey, and even baseball futures. Like I said, the Masters is coming up not too long away, right? Get ready for that. Finally, don't see a prop bet you really like? Make it up on the spot with BetOnline.ag. Remember... When you go to BetOnline.ag, use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on an next deposit That's BetOnline.ag, promo code CLNS50. But speaking of narrative, the big narrative out of yesterday, because I want to get some of the, the things that we were talking about yesterday before we just go on to this tangent about talking about how great Jason Tatum is. But Jason Tatum was absolutely unbelievable yesterday. What impressed you the most about Tatum in the Lakers game?
1: Well, I think it was, you know, early in his career, I think we would see him, you know, start games off, not shoot the ball well, and he would sort of fall asleep on defense and he would struggle offensively because he just didn't get off to a great start. I was really impressed with the fact that this guy could score one point in the first quarter, not really shoot the ball well, still be locked down on defense, and then the second and third quarters were just I mean, I think that's what every South fan is hoping is a player that he turns into on a consistent basis. And if you look at the four games against the L.A. teams, you look at how he's playing on these big stages, he's taking a leap on a on a leap that we already thought he took. So it's like he's reaching these levels that are, you know, all NBA caliber production, and he's doing it at 21. Now, I don't think it's fair to him to say, he's arrived at that superstar status. Like I think we can all pump the brakes there, but he is showing us on a consistent basis against the best teams in the NBA that he is on that trajectory. And I think when we, you know, maybe when there are people out there that maybe complained that Ainge wanted to hold on to Jalen and Tatum, didn't want to trade him for Anthony Davis. Like this is what we're seeing of what Ainge thought was possible. And at 21 years old to do what he's doing, I wouldn't trade him for any, you know, a rental or anything like that, because he's turning himself into that number one option on a on an NBA con- contending team that this rebuild needed him to be to justify not shipping those assets for you know a win now player.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I've always been on the elk like because people are always, oh, the Celtics should have traded for Kawhi. I'm like, why? Kawhi was gonna Kawhi made it very clear to everybody that he was leaving to go to LA in some capacity, so why trade a blue-chip prospect like a Jalen Brown, who you've locked up for a very team-friendly deal at this point, or a Jason Tatum to, to make that happen? I don't. I, and the same with Davis. Davis has always made it kind of clear he was going to L.A. to play with LeBron regardless of what was going on. So, again, at the end of the day, I, I never thought it was a good idea to trade either of those guys. Tatum yesterday, and the one thing that, that – it's sort of twofold with Tatum because, one, the defensive stuff really does impress you. I mean, it, it, and especially his way to switch – and his his ability to help on defense, you know, and collapse down and, on double teams, and or like to read passing lanes and get his hand in there and and, and you know slide the ball away and and get the start on a fast break. But that stuff impresses me. And him to hold up against Davis yesterday late in the game was really impressive. You know, Jalen's doing work on LeBron. That's always super impressive. LeBron is like just a freak of an athlete. The stuff that really impressed me the most yesterday was Jason recognizing that this game could get out of hand very quickly in the second quarter if he doesn't step it up a little bit. So he takes control of the game. Then he just develops on it. He's like, no, I'm really feeling this right now. And some of the shots he made yesterday, like the shot-making stuff that you're watching from him where he's getting in, inside the paint, in the lane, and getting to the rim a little bit more. He took you know a bunch of free throws yesterday, which has been like the one big thing missing from his game. We took like 12, 13 free throws yesterday. That was really impressive. But some of the step-back threes that he hits – you know, and, and some of it's against guys and switches, like, I, we all saw him roast Landry Shamit in that game against the Clippers. But a couple of times, you know, in the, in the Clippers game, he'd get Kawhi switched on him and he'd go right at Kawhi. And then yesterday, he had Davis switched on him. He's going right at Anthony Davis. These are two guys. I mean, Davis is right. in the d- discussion for, you know, uh, defensive player of the year. Kawhi is a front runner right. for, like, first team all NBA defense every single year. It might be, like, in, you know, at the end of the game, one possession game, if you could pick one player defensively to have on the floor, like, look, you know, Kawhi might be the your first draft pick. He's going on right after guys, and he had a couple of step back threes yesterday against Davis, where I'm like, there aren't too many guys in the league that could hit that shot. And Tatum is one of, like, four guys that you would trust with that shot. Like, even even guys like LeBron, LeBron like would take that shot, but I wouldn't expect him to make that regularly because he's not that great of a three point shooter. Like that's a that's a shot that Durant hits quite quite often because he's got so much length and get a shot off against anybody. The fact that Tatum was doing that stuff yesterday in crunch time, you know, in a game that felt very Juneish, like very playoffy, just speaks volume to where he started this year to where he is now. Because you, again, the the thing that you mentioned is the consistency. That's what separates good players from great players from elite players is that consistency. And you've the past month, you've seen it. It's been unbelievable mm-hmm. to watch him kind of mature into this ridiculous two-way shot-creating wing who – again, and then you look at the modern NBA now. Like that is the most pivotal part of a team. Like not – you know, everybody – there's so many good guards in the league and, and big men at this point like – you know, you can. There are a dime a dozen for one that can, like, you know. Daniel Tice is a great example. Like, he's great. Daniel Tice is fantastic. I'm not paying him a lot of money, goes out there, plays great defense, spaces the floor, moves the ball, does does what you need him to do. That shot creation on the wing is the most sought after thing in the NBA right now, and Tatum has that. in spades.
1: Yeah, I look at it a couple of different ways. The first is like, it's wildly impressive that <laughs> he's, you know, he can did a switch on Anthony Davis who has probably like a seven foot wingspan sidestep three and just not even come close to touching the rim. But I'm also a little hesitant because my fear is that in a playoff series, that becomes a shot that Tatum relies too much on. And I don't know, like, I, I don't know if that can be a shot that's consistently made in a playoff series. Hopefully it is, but that's why when you look at the other facet of his game and how he's getting to the free throw line, that's what sort of brings me back down and calms me down a little bit because, you know, now the sidestep step step back three is a weapon as opposed to his only offensive option, right? Like we're seeing him figure out a way to be patient with his dribble, use a seal by Tyson, get to the rim. And if Tatum's going to get to the line, you know, six, seven, eight times a game, I think they'll be able to survive in a playoff series where, like, you know, sometimes I get worried it's going to be like back in the Isaiah days, like during that Hawks series where, you know, Isaiah just he couldn't make a three and it just destroyed their whole offense. If Tatum all of a sudden can't make that side-set three, I think we're seeing the development in his offensive approach where he's still going to be able to be effective in a playoff series, and that's what they're going to need to get you know, over the hump, right? Like, it's incredible how he's able to make these threes now and in these playoff atmospheres, but we all know that teams close out harder in the playoffs. We know that defenses go up a level. So for him to be able to have more in his bag than just that sidestep three is, is what makes him such a tough cover because he has a size, he's starting to finish better at the rim, and he's, you know, he's stronger, so he's playing two contact, and he's not losing the ball, you know, every time, he used to drive in his first two years. It always felt like the ball was getting swiped or he was losing his handle out of bounds. But now he's, he's strong with the ball. He's finishing at the rim, and he's getting to the free throw line.
0: Yeah, and what's cool about yesterday is you see him, you know, talk about playoff defense. Those hard doubles are going to be there all through the playoffs, okay? And for him to get a little experience in that early, knowing that, like, this is coming later, uh, I think it's only a bonus for him. And the one thing – so Adam and I were kicking around this morning – you know, is, you know, at what point is Jason Tatum the, the best player on a championship team? So my question, my, I said, well, he's kind of the best player in the Celtics right now. Uh, I've been arguing this for a couple of weeks and, and now that, you know, we've, we've had a, a little bit of a run here with Tatum, I think a lot of people are more, are hopping on that bandwagon. Is this team right now, in your estimation, a championship caliber team?
1: Um, it's tough because I think they match up better with the best teams in the West than they do with, with the yeah. best teams in their own conference, I mean, I think if I still think it's Milwaukee and then everybody else, right? So the Celtics are in that second tier of, you know, the Torontos, whoever, right? But if they get somehow out of the Eastern Conference, right? If there's a prayer and they make a finals, I think they can absolutely compete with any of the contending teams in the Western Conference now to do that they're going to have to overachieve right like they can't play poorly or they can't have you know one or two guys not punch above their weight and accomplish that but if if you know if this is the Tatum that we're going to get and this is the Jalen that we're going to get and Hayward continues his strong play like they provide their own set of challenges that make them a matchup problem the same way you know other bigger teams could theoretically be a matchup problem for the Celtics so they're absolutely a contender in a sense that you should expect. You know, for me, the expectations is this team makes the Eastern Conference Finals. And I feel like once you make your final four in any sport, you're theoretically a contender. But I still would put them behind the books and, and probably even behind the two L.A. teams right now. But I think that they can compete with either of those L.A. teams based on what we've seen through four games.
0: Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with that. I think Milwaukee's the best team in the league right now and I, and I think people are just not convinced yet because you have LeBron and Anthony Davis out in LA and then you have on the other team, you know, Kawhi and Paul George. But I, I I haven't seen anybody play better than the Bucks this year. They're insane. If you look at yesterday, and you always I'm curious where you fall on this, because you have yesterday and the Celtics play without Kemba Walker, and you know, you look at those doubles against Jason yesterday and you, you would assume that having Kemba on the floor is gonna help with that a little bit. But my question would be more around, you know, defensively. When they have Kemba on the floor, they're not as good. So yesterday, when you have Smart, Jason, Jalen, Hayward, and Tice, that looks like. Or if you want to sub, you know, sub Grant in somewhere you can as well. But my my question revolves around is having Kemba in that game makes a difference in a couple of different ways. But defensively, I, I don't know if he's the guy you want to roll out there. Like, do you take the chance of putting in? kemba over smart at the end of games because you need more shot creation i'm just kind of curious where you fall on that
1: so i think it would depend on the the game situation right like yesterday in a close game when you're getting hard trapped i would rather have kemba out there because you know it would make the lakers think twice about sending a double right so like you you're going to sacrifice something on the defensive end but Kemba isn't exactly the sieve that we've seen other Celtic point guards be that are maybe a little undersized. So I don't have a problem with him competing on the defensive end. I just think when you're in these tight games down the stretch, I want my shot makers on the floor. So while Smart can do the intangibles and is a a much better defensive player and can come up with steals or rebounds, I just think for the Celtics, like they have, even with Kemba on the floor, they have enough good defenders. On, on the court, right? For me, the issue is you can't have a guy that's a complete, you know, negative in terms of how a team, like even if smart makes the three, like the Lakers will take that shot every day of the week. So for me, I'd rather have, you know, Kemba off ball as a scoring threat, because maybe you won't get that same sort of hard double. And if they do, well, now you have one of your best scorers with a ton of space, you know, to either drive or, or hit a pull up three. So, It has to just depend on the game situation. Anything that's close, I think you have to close, you know, maybe even with your best five and just, you know, play Tatum at the five and take Tice off and have Kemba and Smart. I think that's certainly a possibility.
0: Yeah, I I can't wait to see what this team looks like at full strength because it's still, again, uh, the Rob Williams, like, teases every once in a while are starting to really kill me. Um, The other big thing I think about this team coming out of yesterday, this has been something that's been kind of been kicking around for a while is the Celtics bench problems they have. And you know, they just can't find a way to generate any scoring off their bench at all whatsoever. Does this matter to you? Or or are you part of the group that's like, well we get to the playoffs, they're not gonna have a huge they're not gonna use a lot of their bench anyway. Like I would assume Hayward's going to take a lot of the wanna maker minutes along with Smart. They'll run three ball handlers that way. You know, the way they can stagger Kemba, Jason, Jalen and and Hayward will will mean a lot more. Plus like Smart gets with the bench, his production becomes bench production. Are you are are you Nervous about their bench production, or are you like, this doesn't matter because playoffs, you know, the, the rotations get shortened and, you know, they'll be fine because they can, they can stagger guys in certain ways.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's both, right? Like, I don't think their ceiling is ultimately determined on what their bench looks like. But I think in order for them to get to where we want to go, their bench is extremely important as we close out the regular season, right? Like, it's important for seeding. But then once we have the seed and we're in the playoffs, it becomes less important. So that's why I think Robert Williams coming back is so big. I just think, you know, Grant is what he is. Romeo is what he is. You know, there are guys that are good at certain things that can help you defensively, but this is now the second game in a row where we've gotten zero offensive production for the bench, and it's just something that if we're going to be in a dogfight with Toronto, who is deep, and we're going to be competing for that number two seed, they have to figure out a way to get something from their bench because you don't want your starting group to be burned out by the time we get to the postseason, when they're not going to be playing as much, and the starters are going to have to play, you know, thirty-five to thirty-eight minutes. So long term, it's not as big of an issue, but for like for right now in this last, you know, whatever we have two months left in the season, it is significant because we're competing for a, a playoff seed, and there are guys where you know you're going to have to come in and be productive. And so
0: far, that hasn't happened. So, do you go to the buyout market and address that, or are you just let it roll the rest of the way and just be like, "Look, man, this is because I'm kind of reserving to the point where, like, I think Boston again, barring something happening that's kind of miraculous here, I think Boston is just going to be that three seed. I think we kind of have seen throughout the season, you know that that you know nobody's catching the Bucks. Nobody is unless something goes really wrong with Toronto. They're going to probably be locked into two, and then below the Celtics, like Miami, Philly. I'm not counting the Pacers here because the Pacers have a long way to go. But between Miami and Philly, like one of those teams going to have home court. The other team is not. Uh, that team gets to play the Bucks. Congratulations. Um, and I, I just feel like we're kind of locked in. It, we, we, you know, Things might move around a little bit. But regardless of whether the Celtics address it in the buyout market or if they don't, um, whether they get production off the bench or if they don't, like they're going to be a three seed probably. And it comes into play this whole load management thing at the end of the year. Where you know Kemba's going to need a little bit of you know uh, uh, just you have to tend to that knee as much as you possibly can throughout the rest of the regular season. Uh, I would love to reduce Tatum's minutes because Tatum's play, you know is going to play a lot in the playoffs probably. I'd like to just you know reduce a little bit of wear or tear in his body. You know Smart's probably get a fluke injury here or there somewhere because he plays so damn hard. And then with Hayward, the injury bad luck has been mostly bad, uh, and every time it seems like he's really getting to a rhythm, he gets hurt again. So I'm more on the Look, this is let, don't worry about the, the playoff production, the, the bench production now. Uh, those guys, like, you know, between Romeo and Grant and, you know, if Rob comes back and with Kemba, I think you'll be able to stagger guys enough to make it not matter um, minutes-wise. And then the playoffs, again, when you ratchet up those minutes for these starters, I think they'll be okay because they'll have enough of that top-end talent to kind of survive. But, you know, a, a couple of bench points here and there I think would go – an extremely long way, and if and if the the problem is if it's the wrong game, like Cantor can't play and a game against the Lakers or against the Clippers or against the Rockets, like Cantor cannot play, so then now you have to uh, hope that one of like Grant hits a couple of shots or Romeo hits a couple of shots, and like those two guys are on the floor pretty much primarily because they're good defensively, and they don't have too much of a drop off there. You know what I mean
1: yeah, and I just I think it's I'm not willing to give up on the seeding right because a lot more matter. With you know, I think Philly and Indiana are only separated by two games for the five-six seed, and then you know we're only what two and a half games or something like that behind Toronto, who plays Milwaukee up next. So I still think like you want to avoid the Sixers in the first round just because I think they're a matchup problem, despite them being dysfunctional. Like they just they're not a the problem. I think we it's okay to say that. So if they're going to slide down to the six, I think it's very important that we want to bump up to the two seed. But if they're going to keep going up and maybe they take over the four, then I think it's sort of like last year, where like you're going to see the Celtics do, you know, concede their seeding because of matchup. But they're still, I think they even have the South's played Toronto. You said two more times. I think one of those is like the last few weeks of the season. So. I don't even know if they're going to be in a position to rest guys because things are going to be so
0: close until like the last week of the year. Yeah. So we're anti DeMarcus Cousins We're anti, uh, any one of the buyout guys that could potentially like a Dion waiters type or a Tyler Johnson or anti, you know, as much as I love Jamal Crawford, uh, anti that anti Isaiah Thomas, or we're, all, we're n- none of those buyout guys are appealing to you at all.
1: I mean, I, First of all, I don't even think Boogie is like healthy to play. So that's people are like we're all talking about him and it's like no one saw the Woj tweet or whatever where it said he's like staying with the Lakers and it's gonna work out for the off season. I, I don't know why everyone all of a sudden thought that like he was a viable candidate. He's out. For me I'll always welcome Isaiah back. He'll have a spot on my team until my last breath. So if if he were to come back, I would love it. But the other guys, it's like you know, Jamal Crawford's good in theory, but like he shot what 38, 37% last year. Like, I'm not sure that solves your issues. And I don't know. I just want to see ideally what they need is what they drafted Carson Edwards to be like use these last two months to give him a shot and see if he can make shots. I just, that's what I feel like would solve all of their problems, but they don't give him the opportunity. So it's like, how do you let this guy get in the rhythm to potentially be that guy if you're not going to play him? Like, Deion Waiters is intriguing, but I don't want to bring in his drama to this locker room. So I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if they just stood Pat.
0: Yeah, same. Um, last bit here. So I got. I went a little nuts. Uh, I think it was like Friday or Saturday when we found out that uh, Kemba had to have his knee drained after the All-Star game. And I was really upset. As I thought Nick Nurse was trying to like, sabotage the Celtics in some sort of weird way. And then I had to take some time out of me to apologize to Raptors Twitter because I was completely wrong about that. Um, in the Kemba, again, it's not great. You don't want to get injured in an in a exhibition game. It's just not the way you want to do it. In your capacity, is this more on Celtics you know, front office coaching, medical staff not letting Nick Nurse know like, how, that they're, how bad this could eventually be, or is this on Kemba for not taking himself out?
1: I think it's tough. I think the Celts are doing a little bit of damage control, coming out and saying, oh, we never told them about a minutes restriction. There was no minutes restriction. Because I think they don't want to, you know, put any of that narrative on Nick Nurse. But, like, at the same time, I can't expect a player to take himself out of a competitive game. Like, I feel like that's what the coach is there for. I just think it's a shitty – it's just a shitty in event, right? Like, if he was injured or iffy about it, I would have hoped that the Celtics would have told him to not even play. And it's just unfortunate that he's a guy that literally played 82 games every season of his career in Charlotte and then comes here and is, you know, having these little nagging injuries. Like I was okay with them sitting him out against Minnesota because you think, okay, like he can, they can beat Minnesota without Kemba. But for him to miss last night, it's, and you know, then you have Brad saying he may not play on the whole trip. Like, this just feels like 2009, Kevin Garnett knee injury all
0: over again. Yeah, I feel you on that. I'm just, I, I, at the, again, at the end of the year, I would just love to see this team totally healthy with no minute restrictions and they're, and they're flying. Because what we've seen so far is a team that can compete with the upper echelon of the NBA, whether it's East or West. And in order for, again, they're not going to have, in any of these big series, like you're not going to go into a series with the Lakers or the Clippers or the Bucks you know, maybe not even with Philly for that matter or, or you know, depending how you feel on certain guys, maybe not even Toronto either. They're not going to go into the playoffs in some series with the best player on, on the floor. They're not. Unless Tatum is going to take another absolutely ridiculous leap. But I'm not going to put him over Giannis. I'm not going to put him over LeBron or Anthony Davis or Kawhi Leonard, okay? I'm not going to do that yet. Where Boston comes at you is comes at you with their the top end of their depth. Like, you know, some teams have – LeBron and AD, and then after that, there's a huge drop off. Well, Boston's, you know, got Tatum, Kemba, Hayward, and Brown. Those four guys, you know, if you're gonna make the ten best guys in a series, like, they might not be one and two, but they're three, four, five, six, and maybe even seven. You know what I mean? Like, that's where they right. win. They win games on the periphery a little bit, not necessarily up front, although Tatum is, you know, taking this ginormous sleep. We'll see where he ends up. They're winning, they're trying to win, and the, and the Raptors are somewhat like this too, they're trying to win the game like on the periphery of, maybe it's not guys 1 and 2, but we have three, four, five, six, seven, and 8 better than your guys, and that's where we're going to win. So I, in order for Boston to really win that way, they have to have all their guys healthy. So at the end of the day, when it comes to Kemba, like, I, as much as I'd love to see him out there, I, I'm more in line of, he needs to be 100% healthy as we go to the playoffs, and whatever we have to do to get him there, you got to do that. And, and whatever Boston has to do, whatever whatever Brad has to do to get him there, we have to do that. And, and when you look at the rest of the, the way here, they have some really tough games. They have a couple games against Miami coming up. They're going to be tough. Like one's in Miami, I believe, which they've been impossible to beat at home. Although Celtics did that not, not too long ago. They have a, they have a couple games with Milwaukee left. Uh, and the bucks are a nightmare. Uh, they have a couple games with Toronto left. So, you know, you're going to have some tough ones sprinkled in there, but at the same time, you're going to have a lot of easy ones where you can you know, give Jason a night off or give Hayward a night off or give Kemba the night off and hopefully get this team fully rested. Um, and, and as we get closer to the end of this thing, uh, that's the only thing I'm really totally concerned about. I'm not concerned about consistency anymore. I think we've seen enough. We have enough sample size of the season to say, like, yeah, this team's really good. It's just a matter of who they have available at their disposal when it comes time to the playoffs will dictate how far they really go. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I think for me, once we get into a playoff series, Cleveland is everything. He's he's uh, the deciding factor, right? Because, like you mentioned, if we're going to get you know All Star level production from their fourth option in the playoff series, there are not many teams that can have that type type of depth among their starters, right? Like if you think of the fourth guy on the uh, on the Sixers, like who is it? It's not an All Star. If you think of you know, the fourth guy in on Milwaukee, once you get past, you know, Milton, Bledsoe and Giannis, it's like Brooke Lopez, who's good but like, you know, isn't playing at an all star level. So what the Celtics have is potentially four all star caliber players, three of them coming at the wing position. Not a lot of teams have the wing depth to sort of match up with that. So like you like their top end talent may not be there, but when you look at the whole, of, you know, the top eight rotation, they stack up with as good as anybody, but a lot of it depends with what version of Hayward do we get. Do we get the version we have now and the one that we saw in October, or do we get the one that we saw when he first got back from the pain injury in January that wasn't quite the same aggressive efficient player? I think if they get this version of Hayward, they're going to be absolutely contenders because they provide so many mental problems for opposing
0: defenses. Yep. Final thing. Retire Ray's number or no?
1: No, I'm out on Ray. I'm a hypocrite, but I'm out on retiring Ray. Okay. I'm, I'm petty just like Wick.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people agree with you. That's Dan Greenberg, Barstool Sports. You guys know, you know, we got check out his blog on Barstool Sports. He uh, does a lot of the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm not sure, I haven't read it yet. I'm assuming there's a decent amount of good on this one, though. Uh, the, did you throw the the, the referees in the ugly segment or no?
1: Uh, to, to find out. Right? Oh, I love it.
0: <laughs> what a tease. Thanks, Greeny. Appreciate the time, buddy. All right, guys.
1: Thank you.
0: And that will do it for this episode of Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of your Boston Celtics. Again, Evan Valenti filling in today uh, for, for Adam Coffin. Feel a little bit like David Ayers for the Carolina Hurricanes today. You guys heard about this story. This is like one of my favorite stories, maybe in, in sports history here. Guy gets called up, a Zamboni driver because of a hit on the goalie in the game, right? You know, uh, David Ayers Zamboni driver had to be the emergency goalie for the Carolina Hurricanes, 42 years old, comes in and, and, and gets the win for the Hurricanes, which is absolutely unbelievable, right? I feel like that here with Kaufman, like Kaufman's just the regular and I'm just the guy that you call up off the street to get this done. But it, it, I love doing this. I appreciate you guys, uh, all the feedback we get for this show, whether it's to me or to Adam. I, I love it. Keep bringing it on. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, on Stitcher, uh, subscribe to CLNS Media on YouTube. Again, if you are on, you know, in, in that Apple portion, right, give us a rating and a review. It does help us out quite a bit. Adam should be back next week. I don't know. Maybe I'm pinch hitting again. I have no idea. I'm ready for it, obviously. But big thanks to Adam for letting me fill in today. Big thanks to Dan Greenberg. Big thanks to John and Nick. And Larry at CLNS Media, but the biggest thanks to you guys out there because you guys are the best people in the history of people, okay? I love you guys so much. Thanks for joining us. A lot of good stuff coming away. We're, we're gonna get hit in the final stretch sooner rather than later. And we're in the playoffs here. And this team I think has a real decent shot of making some serious noise as we get to the playoffs. So I'll see you guys soon. Have yourselves a great day. Gino, get me out of here, please.